Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I spoke with David Griffiths, a traditional pub landlord from the Royal Mail Hotel on Spencer Street on the fringe of Melbourne CBD. We covered so much ground. It was recorded around mid-July 2020. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer podcast. Welcome, David uh, Griffiths. Uh, from the Royal Mail in Spencer Street. Uh, well, I say the Royal Mail, David. You, Unlike my father, you're not a postman. <laughs> I do get a phone call pretty much every week uh, from someone looking for a package that hasn't made its way to the UK. And I mean that quite seriously. Like, <laughs> it's very hard to interrupt people when they're in full flight, having lost their precious object that hasn't arrived. But Yes, thank you for welcoming me. Here I am. <laughs> well, you do deliver things, I suppose. Uh, you're doing a lot of delivery at the moment. But before we get onto all of that, um, who are you, David? And <laughs> how do you fit in into this wonderful world of beer, particularly in in, uh, in Melbourne? Gee, that's a that's a good question. It's a it's a funny one. Just when I was thinking back over the beers that I've been choosing tonight, they sort of tell a bit of the story of my journey from home brewer to novice barman at the Flemington and Kensington Bowls Club to my thoughts that wouldn't it be fun to run a bar and from there wouldn't it be fun to run a pub. So that's how I end up at the Royal Mail on Spencer and um, all of that alongside the Cool Room podcast, which is the podcast that me and a few mates do about the beer as well. And I'm sure we'll sort of touch on some of those things, but from one beer podcast to another. It's uh, it's excellent to be in the uh, in the guest seat rather than the driving seat tonight. <laughs> well, no, I, I am more than happy to drive uh, on these empty streets that we have at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, in in podcast world, so um, opening up a bar mm. for fun. It sounds like a terrible idea. I mean, there's m- many times where pe- you know people have this all in in all different aspects of their life. Particularly if they say, for example, go and watch stand-up comedy and they think, I could do that. Yep. No, you can't. No, you know, you might be sat with thinking, I could do a better job than a politician sat in Parliament. You probably couldn't. And you're sat there thinking, yeah, I'm going to run a hospitality offering. What made you take that horrible step? <laughs> <laughs> well... It was something of a midlife crisis, I suppose, and it's uh, probably better and less dangerous than a big, fast red car could have been. So, you know, given all of the options, <laughs> it probably wasn't as bad as it, as it could have been. Um, it was it was a completely different challenge. I'd been working in offices and, you know, worked in government and done other various bits and pieces. So it was the opportunity to do something very, very different. Uh, and I was also very lucky that a, a good mate of mine who went on to be my business partner in in the bar that was Mr Griffiths in Macaulay Road in Kensington, uh, he was also looking for a new challenge but had worked in hospitality a lot. So I was very lucky that I had someone there who had made a lot of the rookie errors over 20 years and had learned a lot and was able to teach me an enormous amount. Um, there's absolutely no way that uh, if, if Rob hadn't a approached me uh, just at the time asking my opinion on some venues not with a view to sort of working together to, to open a bar but it's just sort of gelled from there that we had 
similar and overlapping interests. And um, yeah, it, but the opportunity for a new challenge and a new challenge was certainly what it was. Yeah, opening a venue. What's the what was the biggest challenge for you personally? Uh, getting our hands on the key to the venue, and that's <laughs> I. Uh, you know, I think that's the sort of the, there's all those bits behind the scenes that no one ever sees. It's uh, everyone goes, gee, it'd be fun to run a pub. And David, sometimes on a Friday night, I come in and you're sitting down and having a beer with some of the punters, and I'm going, yeah, well, that's because I've been there since you know eight o'clock in the morning and I was doing the paperwork (laughs) until midnight the night before. You know, I enjoy Friday night as much as everyone else. Um, The paperwork associated with it, with that particular bar, bar, I think it took us three or four months to actually, from when we thought we'd signed the lease until we were allowed to walk in the front door. And, um, I mean, I won't go into all the gory details, but, you know, Everyone has good landlord stories, and this took me back to my university days when you know everyone's landlord wasn't doing what they what they wanted, and you uh, you understand you've got a completely different relationship when you're a tenant with a landlord uh, than than you think you'd have as a as a business operator in your mid forties. It did strike me the other day. You know, sometimes you just look at a word and you think, why do we still use landlord was a word that I'm like, it's so yeah. antiquated. Like, the, it's got the word lord. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so strange. And you almost think, how could any relationship or friendship happen when somebody's called landlord <laughs> yeah that's that's right and it wasn't in fairness that my landlord expected me to take my forelock every time that he walked in the door or anything like that but it was all the all of the lawyers and all of these things just take so much time and that's been my experience in the couple of venues that i run but i think it's a pretty common story through hospitality and no one expects that bit to be the hard bit i think is probably well let's let's get us up to speed with what's happening uh you know in your most recent venue how did you uh how did you take on that challenge because it feels to me like you've you've gone um to a institution like it's a it's a historical institution it's not just a pub is it it's a classic australian pub you're you're absolutely right and it brings with it everything that institutions bring with them so uh so many people who have opinions on what they'd like it to be uh, and who aren't afraid of sharing those opinions, which is also the fun bit as well. Um, you know, it's Democracy, a, is it? Is that yeah, what it's called? It is, and it's fun, it's fun to hear. You know, there are people who walk in who I've never met before who've been drinking there since the 60s or 70s and have moved up to the country or something like that. And they all have memories and it's a place that means something to them. And, and that's what you want when you run a pub. You want a place that is a meaningful space for people and people can come together and make it their own. Um, you know, if it was only me who enjoyed it, well, you know, there'd probably be nothing but, you know, stout on tap and nothing but Metallica on the, on the radio. And, you know, <laughs> not many people would stick around for very long. But also doesn't that, um, the fact that it's an institution, the fact that people have their opinions, which are, are firmly held, the fact that people feel invested in a pub like that, that, doesn't that also provide a barrier to progress? Well, you, you can look at it two ways. You can, you can take it as the barrier to progress, and sometimes that's a bit the case. But you can also take it as the, you know, I was going to write up on the blackboards out the front the other day that, you know, 
it takes a village to run a pub and there's a you know to muck around with a famous old saying there's a touch of truth in that that you know when i need plumbing work done or something else goes wrong or even just you know somebody's walking past on a monday when i'm up there and something's been left out the front one of the locals is pick it up and bring it back when i'm open the next day and mm. you know there's all of that kind of process that goes on when we were cleaning things up and getting ready to come out of lockdown which seems like a distant memory now but there were just all these people who just came down and helped clean and helped do things um it would have been an overwhelming job for one person to have taken on by themselves um and you know i've been drinking at the royal mail probably for 20 years uh you know running it for two but all of these people it means something to them and that's why they want to give up their time for that and if that means they have an opinion on which way the pool table should be orientated in the front bar well i'm happy to listen to that opinion i may not change the orientation but i'm certainly happy to listen to the opinion i think that you put that really beautifully and on reflection my question was deliberately provocative but i did sound like a, a money hungry property developer <laughs> <laughs> Just, what about progress? <laughs> Which you answered that perfectly well because who needs progress when you've got community and you've got togetherness and all of those uh, wonderful things that a pub should be about? Yeah, and the good thing about the Royal Mail is it's such a big space. You can have so many different things happening at once. And so you can have, you know, the old blokes have been drinking there on a Friday afternoon and will only drink Carlton Draft there's a spot for them there and there's people who want to, you know, eat a really nice meal with an expensive bottle of red wine. There's a spot for them in the restaurant. And then there's our crazy wheel of beery mystery, which, you know, spins up some strange craft thing and all of the old blokes grumble about what a silly idea it is, but they're happy that there's life and movement and noise. No one wants to sit in a pub by themselves. So, uh, you know, there's room for all of those things in a space that big. Because that um, front bar is just a a lovely space it's it's so it's kind of warm and um but there's a impersonal is the wrong word it's very personal but it's it's kind of it's not intimate it's it's quite a, a really good you can have space from people but also you kind of feel like you're involved because you can see everything in that room it's very uncomplicated and and simple space and it feels very welcoming as well. It's like, it, it's such a good, just a bar, <laughs> which is so good. So, you know, in a world where so many bars have so many complications and, and quirks and, and uh, different gimmicks, it's so nice to go to a pub, which is a pub. <laughs> it's, and the Royal Mail just gives that, yeah, in, in spades. It's uh, And, and uh, I know that you uh did get rid of because it's just on the fringe of the cbd isn't it so um it it kind of it's kind of unusual in that it feels like a a city venue but clearly you draw upon that kind of north melbourne community and then you've also got um you know the people going to festival hall for shows uh which obviously not happening at the time recording i really hope david for our sake that this podcast ages very badly. Yeah. I hope that like we're talking about, you know, we'll, we'll talk a bit about K- 
COVID and stuff like that. Not that we really want to, but um, I hope it ages really, really badly and this doesn't make any sense yeah, in I'd, two I'd months' time. So. I hope it's a, a, an interesting historical artifact that, you know... <laughs> like some people perhaps who drink at your bar. <laughs> <laughs> I won't pass that off, but yeah, it's pretty true. Um, so where are we up to in terms of you reopens again after a lockdown and currently we're in a period of uh six weeks minimum of lockdown you've been very inventive with the cool room podcast uh very inventive with different sales techniques in the raw mail explain how things have worked and how that's been successful or drawbacks and all of those type of things in a no undoubtedly um challenging time yeah look at a it's very challenging and I don't think anyone has the right answers at the moment, but I guess my philosophy is you've got to be trying something. And if you can be trying four or five things, you might get lucky and one of them will will work. Um, Certainly, you know, lying in bed with a doona up around your nose isn't going to be the solution to, to any of the problems. And the problems are real and the problems are, you know, I really worry not just about sort of pubs in my part of the world, but what it means for pubs, you know, right around Victoria, Australia, elsewhere, but particularly for people who are trying to start up bars that probably didn't even get that little window of being open that we did and um, and all of the other people who, who work in those spaces and the artists who hang out there and all, you know, all of those aspects of society um, are much further away from, from coming back than, than throwing open the doors to the pub are. So, uh, you know, a shout-out genuinely to all of those people who are trying to get through all of those things. Um, I guess for us, you know, first of all, we had, you know, things that we enjoyed doing. So we've been doing the podcast, uh, which originally sort of started as the story of owning a pub and what it was like to try and turn around a great big grey battleship like the Royal Mail to make it successful again. Uh, And that sort of morphed a little bit sometimes into uh, interviewing some of the brewers before we put some of their beers on tap. And then basically... With, with the COVID lockdown number one starting, we just sort of used that as an opportunity to touch base with some of those brewers. Some of them had stock they wanted to get rid of and so it started to make sense to go, well, why don't we, you know, sell the beers and people can tune in uh, either live in the Zoom or afterwards on the podcast version and hear what the brewers have got to say about them. And then it was sort of like, um, wow, we could actually talk to brewers from overseas and all these other things that, you never quite think you'd ever do. And um, the opportunity was there and, yeah, too silly not to try and take, you know, take the opportunity when it's there. Well, David, we're here to talk through the six beers that changed everything. I know uh, it's been a challenge uh, for a man as well experienced with drinking. <laughs> it all sounds bad when you put it like that. <laughs> no, no you're very, you've got a very uh, educated palate, let's say that. Um, <laughs> so, and great beers when the Royal Mail is open as well. Uh, you have, you know, I think it's a really nice thing that you have Carlton Draft on there for your locals who have been going for years and that's what they drink. Um, I think there's so many places that must alienate people straight away. You know, particularly people like, you know, if I opened a bar, I wouldn't have Carlton on. And 
I feel completely without compassion <laughs> when, when I'm speaking to a, a publican who clearly cares enough to actually give people what they want. <laughs> well, well, I didn't have it at the last bar. That was part of the interesting thing. But look, certainly with both the festival hall crowd you mentioned before, but also with the football crowd, if you if you really chose to be hardline and not give people what they want, when there's two pubs either side of mine, probably 75 metres away, where there is what people want in terms of people who are going to the footy, well, you know, there's certainly an element of all of this where you've where you've got to be welcoming to everyone if you want to make sure that the cash register is turning over. It's as, it's as simple as that. And, again, you know, we're lucky we've got 12 taps. We don't really have to, you know, worry about, you know, excluding something. There's room for Carlton Draft, as there is for the Moondog Old Mate, as there is for the Venom Refreshing. All of those things are, you know, pretty much staples on there. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's let's start off, David. Uh, choice one. Choice one. <laughs> choice one, well... Again, I sort of thought I'd tell a bit of a story about my sort of journeying through the world of beer. So choice number one for me is a is a throwback to the Matilda Bay Dog Bolter, which I'm not sure whether you ever had in your time. It was back when Matilda Bay was one of the notional first craft beers that were in the Australian market. Um, the Redback Wheat Beer is probably the one that most people would have been more familiar with, but... For me, the Dog Bolter, which is effectively, a, I guess, a dark lager, Dog Bolters are a style of their own, was probably the first beer that I had that was noticeably incredibly different to every other beer that I'd ever had, which was whether it was Draft or whether it was a Stella or whether it was a Cronenberg, you know, were, you know, all same enough, whereas Dog Bolter was this sort of revelation of all of these different flavours uh, and an introduction to the world of, oh, who wants to try this one? Oh, no, mate, these are all too hard. And so that bit of, oh, so there are people who enjoy tasting beer and talking about beer, and they're the ones who are sitting over there drinking all of these interesting things. And it must have been quite a a sea change as well for you to drink Dog Bolter because it's, it's a dark lager. So that would have been strange in itself. But the other really strange thing that strikes me about Dog Bolter is that it's Australian. Mm. <laughs> it's like most people's choices generally tend to be, you know, those initial one, two, three beers uh, tend to be European. Yeah, that one for me was um, I went to TAFE when I was in year 12 as well as school, so I did sort of night classes. And there was a pub in Bendigo called the Rifle Brigade, which was a, a beautiful looking pub. And it was just, it was sort of this entry into this sort of bohemian world for a pretty straight laced private schoolboy to suddenly go out with all of these artsy folks and they were drinking all of these different things. But, yeah, I wouldn't have known. I don't really know, aside from the very obvious things, what overseas views they would have had in 1992 in Bendigo. <laughs> I suppose maybe they got beers from the city, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe as far away <laughs> as, as Adelaide. I don't know. But yeah, that, it that would have been, been uh... that. <laughs> yeah. but it was just that, it was that interesting uh, world of oh this is this is different and you know this is something worth talking about and these flavors are, you know it's actually a beer that was worth talking about as a as a drink rather than just having a beer because you want to have five beers when you go out kind of thing and i believe matilda bay uh, i think phil sexton's back at the the helm and um opening in the 
by Innocent Bystander in uh, Healsville, the old White Rabbit site, I believe. I'd heard that, and I sort of went looking even tonight just for sort of seeing if I could find the dog bowl, because I know that they sort of bring these things back from time to time, I think with slightly tweaked recipes, but I couldn't find it. But if anyone out there listening can track it down, let me know, because I'd love to sort of have another taste of it now to see how much it compares with my memory and how, you know, whether I could still drink it happily or not. It fills me with joy to imagine that uh, a brewer might be out there listening to this and rekindle a beer that's now not commissioned at the moment. Because there's been a few that people, you know, just not made anymore, you can't find them, but clearly they did have something to give. So, look, that would be great. Matilda Bay, if you're listening, Dog Bolter. Even if you just do one case for David, that'll be fine. Yeah, I'm happy to split it with a few people. Don't worry about that. So, exactly, exactly how the economics of that production run and stack up, I have no idea, but do it anyway. You know? <laughs> Work for 60, 70 bucks left. Yeah, a 20 litre fermenter. That's, that'll be fine. Um, choice two. Choice two. Choice two. Look, it could have been any one of a number of beers from Sierra Nevada, but in the end, I've gone with the Sierra Nevada Pale. Um, which is a probably a reasonably boring answer in one in one sense because they make so many different things. But again, that was that sort of moment of, oh wow, here's an first of all, here's an overseas American beer, whereas I had a very jaded view of what American beers were before I tried that. But just that big hoppy punch at a time when there still wasn't many Australian beers that were you know tasting like that. So you know, again, that'd be sort of late uni, you know, sort of, I guess, mid to late 90s. And that sort of revolution of, of pale owls was really only just starting out in Australia. And still, uh, you know, we had the guys from Sierra Nevada on the podcast the other day, and that was one where I did get the opportunity to go back and taste it again. And it still really stacks up as a beer that I could happily drink now, I could happily give to other people, um, while other styles have changed all around it. That's just such a classic drinkable beer. The hot profile is just perfect. And, um, you know, you can have a couple of them very easily and very happily. It's very, I think it's very hard to overstate how much of an iconic beer Sierra Nevada has become and how different, like, actually off the scale difference <laughs> it would have been in the landscape back in, obviously, at what that came about in like the 1982 or something like that maybe yes, sometime, and i know that the... yeah this year um wow so i know people were pouring it down the drain when they got it because they thought there was something wrong with it <laughs> you know like there's all these stories about you know just as a beer to kind of educate people about what hops can bring what bitterness is what this like kind of balance in a beer as well and malt profile has to be right because it pours quite a amber kind of a darker yep. color it's clearly got this great malt profile and then that really bitter hops that you know finish off and they're all, all if you get a fresh one they can be quite aggressive uh and then it dips away and you just want to go back for another mouthful which is i mean uh, is the key to great beer making but it's 5.6 percent as well which now obviously just kind of disappears in the 
uh, beers that we're used to drinking now, but 5.6% in the mid to late 90s in Australia. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and it stood out. I mean, I guess for people who are, you know, younger than me, it's it's easy to sort of lose perspective on the fact that craft beer just wasn't a thing 30 or 40 years ago, uh, or certainly nowhere near to the scale that it is now. And that, you know, even for people like myself, I mean, I homebrewed things that I wanted when I wanted a taste that was different and interesting, but otherwise it would have been something like James Bogue would have been what I'd drink if I went to the pub. Certainly nothing with that kind of hot profile would have been easily available at the average Melbourne pub back then. So that it was just sort of revolutionary in that, in that sense. And it's also quite amazing that a brewery like Sierra Nevada managed to grow to the extent that it has. It almost feels like it's uh, a non-independent because it's so prevalent. Yeah. But it is still independent. The, the capacity they have is huge. It's like yeah, they, so big. The guys were saying the other day on the podcast that last that June was their biggest month ever in terms of production and, and sales, um, which they just hadn't expected or seen coming. And I think there's sort of a touch of returning to comfort foods and returning to old favourite beers that probably drives a bit of that. But I guess for me, Sierra Nevada without them ever having realised it, let's be clear about that, has sort of been part of my craft beer story over the 20 years or so that I've been working in it. It was one of the first beers that I sort of brought down to the Bowls Club that wasn't from the CUB range. And um, so so many times, you know, there's been a new beer for them. I, I went through my untapped list, which I haven't probably logged on to untapped for six months or something. But I was sort of... I was, interested to sort of see what I'd rated in terms of highly over all those years. And, you know, just really solid four and a halfs and fours, and I'm a pretty harsh marker, from Sierra Nevada for all of these different beers. I could have named one, 10, 20 of them that um, that I have very fond memories of over that journey. You've got to also see someone uh, like Sierra Nevada in the, in the context of the market as well, is that... There was a massive push in the US and in the UK, Australia included, is to, to homogenize beer production, is mm. to narrow down the styles, narrow down what people uh, could have because it's just more economically favorable to make very few styles and much more predictable and easier to, um, you know, agriculture and all of this thing. To have someone like Sierra Nevada doing experimental beers and beers that people hadn't tried before and get that into the mainstream, get that into, you know, where you could just go into your ordinary bottle shop and buy some Sierra Nevada. And there's other breweries like this as well. You just can't kind of comprehend really as a modern consumer. It's easy to forget how difficult that would have been when everything else was telling you, you have to drink mainstream lager. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Absolutely right, and you, you, there's still you can still from time to time get Sierra Nevada packs where they put four or five different sort of hop profiles, you know, along in, in essentially the same beer, and you can buy the pack and taste them with some mates. And I probably learnt more out of about beer out of doing exercises like that by sitting around with a few mates and a couple of different Sierra Nevadas or a couple of other breweries that I've mentioned as we go along than I ever have out of you know reading a book or anything like that. I think that's the fact that they've always been willing to. That can't be economic for them, but it just sort of... Yeah, 
Well, talking about things that can't be economic, uh, tell us <laughs> about the Bowls Club. That certainly wasn't economic. I <laughs> <laughs> see. I didn't know that. I just I, I was guessing. <laughs> it's like to tell us. To, so, to anybody who doesn't know already, can you just describe and explain what happened and where yeah. it happened and and how yeah, it I'm... came about? Happily so. Um, it's always one of those ones. It's always a hard story to figure out when to how, how to tell a story, where to start. But um, so we're talking about the Flemington and Kensington Bowls Club, which, if you're talking about institutions, is an institution with a capital I. Uh, I had lived around that part of the world for a while, but an old wharfie when I was a school teacher took me down there and said, "David, for twenty bucks, you can play as much uh, snooker on this full-size table as you want, and beers cost." a dollar fifty a pot or whatever it might have been and so a bit like Mick Malloy and Cracker Jack I saw the opportunity for me without thinking of anything else and from time to time they'd come and pester me about playing bowls and you know largely that got in the way of my love of playing snooker with a with a beer so that didn't happen for a couple of years but then it sort of became obvious that the finances of that place were pretty crook they were down to about 400 bucks in the bank they couldn't afford essentially two kegs for a weekend at a time. And uh, I, I, love, I loved and still bowl for them, so I still, still love the place, but I also loved what that place was for the community. Um, it was the only place where people in their 80s and 90s could happily not just rub shoulders, but be competitive against the 20 and 30-year-olds who were moving into that suburb as it gentrified. Um, and so... Amongst the whole group of people, we really made an effort to make that club survive. Part of that was was regenerating the bar. So when, when we got there, there was, I think, Carlton Draft in the fridge, there was Melbourne Bitter in the fridge, and there was a box of white wine and a box of red wine in the fridge. And that would have been the entire sort of drinking options that would have been available to people. Um, and bit by bit, we mainly because we wanted to drink craft beer, some of us on the committee, we started to introduce that. And then that got a life of its own down there. Uh, and we started to do things, I guess, probably 10 years ago now, like meet the brewers afternoons, which at the time were um, relatively rare. And they were great fun. Uh, I've got a few sort of views on that front to mention along the way as well. But, um, you know, just, just some of those opportunities at a time when that was still relatively rare whereas now you walk into any brewery or any pub on a Friday night and there'll be brewers hanging around everywhere wanting to talk to people about their views or people say oh well I'll only do it if you can guarantee me an audience of a couple of hundred um you know this was just a different time when when brewers didn't get that much opportunity to interact with with the kinds of people who were enjoying their beers and who had an interest in learning more about their beers. I think it's such a reflection of your approach to taking these venues on and allowing the goodness that's already there to shine through. I think so much of what people do when they take over a venue and they've they they've got different likes or different aims is that they kind of eradicate uh to the extent that it diminishes what already exists and so I suppose to explain to people who haven't been to that venue it is a time capsule 
it's an extraordinary venue because you walk in and it, you are back in time. Like the the carpets, the things on the walls, just the feel of the place, the, the atmosphere, humans. <clears throat> the humans. <laughs> yeah. Like the oh, fair enough, the astroturf is uh, on the, the the fake grass is you know a giveaway of some some investments, but it's so nice. And there's got a full size snooker table as well, which I play I played for free, which I was enjoying immensely. Exactly. <laughs> and David, if you and I can go for a game of snooker sometime, I I am so keen. Um, I'd happily happily do that. I mean, the, the good thing. You know, for me, even more than individual beers, it's some of those memories that you have of drinking with people. And again, I can remember there was a time that I used to mix uh, Founders Rubeus with Moondog chocolate salty balls to make something that probably is now pretty much like the uh, Black Forest cake. uh, But I can remember sitting there one afternoon making this and all of the old blokes, you know, tut-tutting. And this was just, you know, drinking either of those beers was outrageous and it was, you know, they were all grumpy. And then one of them sort of leaned over and said, of course, if you really want to mix a beer, what you do is you mix apple cider with stout. That's what we used to do back when I was young. And then one of the others said, no, 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 that's not how you do it. And all of a sudden they all had breast and they were all sitting there mixing beers. And and it was you, they went from being grumpy to having this <laughs> great time and sharing things. And, and it was a fantastic afternoon, one of my happiest memories of the Bowls Club. I think also it's worth mentioning that the location of the bowls club it's on like a, a triangle of major roads and so it feels like an oasis within like a very busy thoroughfares and developments as you say it's a suburbs that are getting gentrified right near flemington race course where they've just put massive huge like luxury flats and I just hope and pray <laughs> that, that this institution does stay an institution with a capital I. And I suppose it does depend upon um, younger people. It, that's, you're going to be in your 80s and 90s one day. You're going to want somewhere where you can <laughs> drink and, you know, play and have recreation with each other. So Absolutely right. And um, there's not enough people who are doing at the, the bowls club's lucky they've got a very good committee of people who are committed both to the sport and also to the to the community but um there's a whole lot of other clubs that are shutting down because young people just don't have the time or the interest in going along and keeping them alive and um you do wonder what it's going to be like in 40 50 years time and this is a couple of things uh, sorry um, um you've stimulated something inside me here david <laughs> it's um good, i think there's a couple of yeah, 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 yeah. If we are talking online, which might might make it weird, but um, it's a couple of things that I think you know we talk so much about mindfulness and and uh, you know uh, being present in the moment and all this. And there's apps you can download and there's programs you can follow and things you can listen to, in, including the the Cool Room podcast and <laughs> the Chosen Brew. But playing snooker, playing crown bowls nothing more mindful than that being in the moments not in front of a screen you're with friends you're concentrating on what you're doing it's such a nice thing that is a, a forgotten um thing for young people i don't want to I, I feel really old when i start saying young people today but, but it's get a, out and play snooker get out and play <laughs> you're absolutely right and it's also for me that bit of uh, i'm very you know, talk about you know this wasn't a tangent i thought we were going to go down but i'm very interested in sort of 
government policy around loneliness and things like that. And that notion that, you know, in the area around Flemington, Kensington, with all of the flats, all of the housing commission, everything else, there are thousands of people, but there are so many of them who are sitting in rooms feeling lonely when there's hundreds of people very nearby them. And the great thing about the Biles Club and about pubs in general are those sort of spaces where people can come down and mix with people who they would otherwise never meet. And all of a sudden you've got, I mean, I can remember, you know, when I was first joining and I was a young, cocky 20-something-year-old, all of these old 80-year-old blokes coming down on the snooker table and on the lawn bowl screen and giving me an absolute lesson in how to do it because I've, and, you know, they, they loved it. They were 80 and they were beating some 20-year-old and I loved it because then we'd sit down and have a beer and they'd tell me a story about how, you know, back when the bowls club was next to the to the abattoirs, more Carlton draft was sold at that venue than any other. And they had these fantastic stories of Flemington in the 1930s that connected me to those suburbs that otherwise I would never have had that connection to. And I could have lived there and walked past these people in the supermarket every day and never said good day to them had they not been that place for everyone to come together. Well, I hope that's one thing that comes out of the, the pandemic is that we actually realise how important it is that we're connected, not just through technology, but, you know, that physical connection. And I think the key thing that you said there is that you're exposed to people who you would never ever be exposed to if you if you had a choice yeah but you, you know you go to a pub and you might be confronted with people with very different outlooks on life or different viewpoints and that's uh healthy it can be annoying as well but it's, just... it's, it's good to learn it's good to learn how to be annoyed and deal with it rather than thinking that the the response to being annoyed is to go Oh, well, bugger it. I guess I'll just go home and watch Netflix all night by myself. It's Yeah, well, it's going to be very hard going to pub after the pandemic to, like, not want to, like, press mute on people. <laughs> <laughs> like, looking for the... Why Why can't I mute this person? This is, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, choice three. Choice three. Choice three. Look, it's a bit of a random order on some of these ones, but for choice three, I've gone with uh, the Elvis Juice from Brewdog. Um, Brewdog, again, a bit like Sierra Nevada, I could have named any number of beers from the very sort of drinkable ones like Punk right through to the completely over-the-top, uh, you know, Dog D, Dog E, Dog F, you know, barrel-aged Imperial Stouts. Um, I love them all. I love the fact that they're willing to be so inventive and that they take the time and effort to ship those things out to Australia before they obviously opened up out here. But the Elvis juice for me was always just that that really interesting middle ground of a beer. If ever I had someone who came in and said, "Radio, I'm willing to try a craft beer. I want something that's different. You know, the Elvis juice was a great one to go to. You'd pour it and you'd say, try this. Uh, it's a grapefruit-infused uh, IPA, but I, I wouldn't mention that to them. That sort of taste. And go, oh, this is a bit different, but yeah, I can drink this. And then you'd explain it had grapefruit. They go, oh, I'd never, have, I would never have tried it if you'd told me that it had grapefruit in it. But it was just a really well-made beer that I've just sort of gone back to again and again over the years and never been disappointed by. And it's a fun beer if you enjoy drinking with people, introducing people to craft beer. It's that you can just sort of see people's eyes light up and go, oh. I get why you want to have a conversation about this beer rather than just sort of sitting there in the corner of the table while we talk about football or something like that. And how 
do you rate your skill of being able to know what beer to offer somebody as soon as they've walked in the pub? Are you like, do you have like psychic medium levels of, uh, you know, you can tell? <laughs> or do you just approach it completely? Is everybody a, a clean slate? Um, there are times that you think you're in form and you might go a whole Friday night and not miss not miss one. You just get it, you'll nail it every time. And then <laughs> then you'll get someone else who you'll who'll come up there and you you think you've got sort of 20 minutes later, you still haven't found the beer that they want. So um it's just really interesting. And particularly for people who haven't sort of indulged in craft beer much before, they don't yet have the vocabulary to describe what they want. And it's really interesting that a lot of people say, Oh, I don't like hoppy beers. But what they're really meaning is that they don't like bitter beers and fruitier hopped beer uh, is exactly what they're after. Sometimes it's the complete reverse of that. And sometimes you get people who go, oh, I just want a beer that tastes like beer, which, I've, you know, is a phrase that most people who've ever attended a bar have probably heard. Um, but that can mean very different things. For some people, it's a very European lager. For some people, it's something far more like a Corona. For other people, it's actually a... a far more like a, a bitter a beer, you know, almost like an old-style Australian bitter beer. Um, so, no, I don't rate my, I don't rate my skills. Um, anyone, who, anyone who does rate that, <laughs> picking what someone wants when they walk in the door, um, it's very dangerous game to play. And you mentioned before about being interested in government policy. I, I, yes. I'm aware that you're a person who politics is a fairly big part of your life is it it is yes does that affect how you approach running a pub in terms of your outlook or the way you treat people oh no i think it's probably all driven in some ways by exactly some of those things that we've talked about along the way which is you know, wanting to create a space where people can have conversations where people can exchange ideas um you know even as in particularly at the bowls club but even since then you know so many people who who know that I sort of dabble in those sorts of things, who come in with paperwork that they can't figure out how to fill out themselves. And over a beer, we can sit down and talk about what it is they're trying to achieve. You know, people who other who wouldn't probably go and knock on a politician's door um, or know exactly how to, to get help. You know, people who, oh, you know, mates at the bowls club who were living in the wrong kind of public housing for them. They, they'd moved into a place when they were 40 or 50 and now they were 80 and having to climb six flights of stairs or something like that, but just didn't think it was a thing to do to ask. Um, and I guess running a pub, you know, to come back to that side of it, you know, it's a bit that same sort of thing. That, you know, you want to create an environment where people can say what it is that they want to eat or what it is that they want to drink rather than just being told, oh, well, you know, today it's Hawaiian pizza and... Um, I don't know, stout, because that's all that David wants to serve. Um, you, you don't want ever to sort of be in that sort of dictatorial role where you're telling people what they want. Otherwise, people, well, A, won't enjoy it. But if, 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 they, if pundas aren't enjoying it, then I'm not enjoying running it. Is I'd never want to be in that sort of, I don't get those sort of snooty bars where, you know, People, you can just sort of see people sitting drinking things that they don't want to have. <laughs> yeah, you know, though, those people are spending a lot of money to do that, so leave them alone. Oh, <laughs> and, and if they're enjoying, you know, it, enjoying themselves, well and good. <laughs> I think there's a there's a line in the first episode of Faulty Towers where there's a, a con man who's like a, a who's pretending to be a lord, and uh, 
Basil says to his, his wife, Sybil, he says, only the true upper class would have tat like <laughs> like that man. <laughs> so it you know, it costs a lot of money to uh to 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 drink so uh so cheaply and ineffectively. Um This is true. Now, let's get in the, the, the thick of it here, David. The important no, things it's a, it's a dangerous phrase to mention in terms of politics, but sure. It is. No, we've moved on now. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, that that would be a whole uh, rabbit hole that we yeah, don't that's, want that's to get down. Um, yes, move on, please. Otherwise, I'll do my Malcolm Tucker think of it impersonations, and that might be well for anyone. Yes, yeah, Malcolm Tucker, uh, yeah, or, or secretly, all the, the, that's the person I, I w- want to be in a conflict, but never <laughs> will be. Um, your other podcast, Wrestling... Now, you are a big, big wrestling fan. Yeah, so we, we went from the podcast. The next stage on from that was actually the, the video show, which I, I call it the video show, which really shows my age. Um, but, yeah, it was her, we did the did about 100 episodes of, uh, of a wrestling podcast called uh, 15 Minutes of Doom, and then we moved on from that to doing a wrestling show that was based at the pub with real live wrestlers doing real live wrestling things. and. Um, that was a very odd series of events that led to that one. Like most of my life seems to be an odd series of events <laughs> leading to things I know. But um It Claire, sounds right. like a hallucination or like a <laughs> dream that you woke up and there was prof- professional wrestlers in your in your bar. It was it it's was incredible. Kind of, yeah, it wasn't far off that. It was a couple of a year ago, it seems like it seems like much longer last year for Good Beer Week, Moondog uh, hosted uh, Melbourne City Wrestling out at their venue, out of what is now Moondog World, before it was that. And we wrote to both Moondog and the wrestling saying, we do podcasts about craft beer and wrestling. Is there any chance we could come along and interview some people beforehand? And they said, are you a reputable and, you know, high-end sort of podcast and media? And we wrote back, absolutely we are. And they, and they said, sure, come out and interview some people then. We <laughs> when we saw Damien, who was my co-host on a couple of these things, and I went out giggling all the way and we got to interview the, the guys from Moondog who we knew a bit from various escapades and these wrestlers who did it all in full wrestling style and we were just completely overwhelmed and had no idea how to interview wrestlers. <laughs> And anyway, about a month or so after that, the guy, Lord Andy Coyne, as he likes to be known, who's one of the uh, ring announcers, messaged me and said, oh, David, thinking about doing a a sort of a video show about craft beer and wrestling, where wrestlers come on and talk about beer and we do a few bits and pieces, would you be willing to do it at the pub? And I said, yeah, that sounds sounds like fun. Nothing will get broken. It'll It'll all be good. And he, a couple of weeks later, he sent me through the run sheet and it was David interviews, this person. And I was like, mate, I'm not sure whether you meant to put my name in there. And he goes, oh, yeah, I thought you'd co-host it with me. And so there I am interviewing, you know, the six foot five, <laughs> uh, well, Cremator, for instance, who's a, who's a lovely bloke who might well listen to this. Shout out to Brad if he listened. But, you know, it was just this world that I had never expected to be in and then they decided it was time to start doing wrestling matches in and around the bar, throwing people over the bar, spilling out on the <laughs> um, And I didn't have the good sense to say no, which, you know, 
you learn those things along the way. Saying no is important. Not in wrestling. You've got to tap out, haven't you? You don't say no. <laughs> so you've got to have a safe word. <laughs> I, I certainly needed to tap out. Look, it's great fun and uh, made up. So when we did our, like last Sunday, we had to do some selling off of the uh, some of the beer that we had sitting around the bar while it was still fresh. The first three people who came in were people that I'd met through that show and the sense of community that's um, through the rest, Melbourne wrestling community is huge and the support that they show each other in, let's call it their artistic endeavours, and I mean that genuinely, you know, it's the, the support that they give each other, the help they give each other, but for me as well, it's just been awesome that those guys have been there time and time again. And, oh, we've got all sorts of other fun wrestling-related things in the works as soon as people are allowed to get back in the room together and um, hang out, hang out in a hall. And what is, is there a, a natural crossover between craft beer and wrestling? Uh, there, there absolutely is. Like? So, Ian, you, you, for listeners at home, they can't see that you have no beard, but I'm certainly doing my ISO beard thing. But the uh, the world of people who like to talk about IBU or, you know, the various hot profiles and the world of people who like to talk about, you know, the best wrestlers of the 1990s and whose voices go a little bit like comic book guy from The Simpsons and say, yeah, well, the problem with the uh, the wrestling industry at the moment, and, you know, it's like there's lots of opinions. <laughs> lots of who like to sit around and discuss those things while they stroke their beards. They're quite large, luxurious beards, it must be said. I'm just thinking as well of, like, I was, as I asked that question in my mind, I was thinking, what what is the the intrinsic link? And it might be hops, like there's, there's wrestling hops, like Pride of Ringwood, the oh, fight I... in the ring, uh, and uh, maybe Full Nelson hops, maybe. You can have, look. There's a line of t-shirts here, brother. <laughs> yeah, let's get the let's get the prints going now. Um and the copyright. Yeah, uh, we'll... Before you before you put the, the podcast out, maybe. <laughs> now, um, choice four. I could have gone with any number of local breweries that I have both happy beer, happy beer memories of, and happy sort of, you know, favourite beers from. I could have gone with Brewcult. I very nearly went with one of them, which shows my age a bit. Kaiju could have been in there. La Serene could have been in there. But in the end, I've gone with Henry Fjord's Girthsum Fjord, which was a brown ale from the early days of Moondog. And um, just a brewery that I've got lots of happy memories from. But this was a cracker of a beer as well. Um, it's it's winter, so you'll see a bit of a recurring theme of sort of browns and stouts and things coming through. But um, a great beer. And again, just that note, a beer that you could give to people who... Uh, weren't necessarily into craft beer, but they could have that in their hand and go, oh, I get what this is about and and happily drink a couple. And it has an awesome name. Yes, yeah, in true Moondog style. And it does actually take me back to uh, when Moondog opened the, the venue just off Victoria Street. And uh, before Moondog World, obviously, it seems very twee now, The uh, that venue. Um Great, great venue, but um, I just remember going in there one Friday night and just, I, I don't think there was a beer under like 7.2% or something, it's like, it's so brutal, I was thinking, I I just need to have one and go. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but well, those big beers were such a signature of, of Moondog. And particularly those sort of back in the day where they had sort of, you know, three or four of the core range with the Love Tap. Uh, it would have been back in the days before Mac Daddy. Old Mate might have been around, but it was probably a very different beer at that stage. Um, and they were just great guys. And the ethos of that they have of, of wanting to have fun and do interesting things hasn't changed. And um, I was really lucky that I got to go out and brew a beer with them one day. And that for me is just like, again, it was like the wrestling sort of thing of just an experience I never thought I'd get to have. And all the time I kept on expecting someone to walk in and go, excuse me, sir, what, what do you think you're actually doing here? And rather than just sort of going, yeah, no, come and try this and sample this. And what do you reckon if we did this? And they just have a really enthusiastic, attitude to everything that they do that's infectious and great yeah i think that's reflected in moondog world isn't it mm. <laughs> it just <laughs> in the way it looks and yep, it's quite an extraordinary venue sitting out at moondog world on one of the sort of the the trade sort of opening days when they were doing their soft bumping and sitting so i could walk watch people walking it wasn't intentional i was just sitting where i could watch people as they walked in and walked over the bridge and everyone just smiled as soon as they walked in it was just you couldn't not walk in and smile so that's a quite an achievement um choice five um five i've gone for the hops on point from garage project which is a completely sort of different kind of beer to all the others that i've thrown in there um garage project would be another that i could name you know easily 10 beers of that would be in that uh yeah worthy of being in my top six but that's just one of those beers that every time i've ever gone back to it it still interests me. It interests me from the first sip right through to the end. It changes as you drink it. And just a, a great, another great expression of the different things that you can do with a beer. Yeah. Garage Project as well. You know, you've just mentioned Moondog. I mean, Garage Project, so experimental, pioneer lots of styles, kind of happy to make mistakes, but yep. the quality control is pretty good. Absolutely. They There's... clearly, you know... Not much that's bad gets out the doors there. And I think probably it's more things that I don't like rather than things that are bad that, that do come across. And would be a brewery that I would happily take a beer untasted and un, sight unseen just because of the, of the brewers and the reputation that they have and the track record they have of producing amazing things. It could have been the DFA. It could have been uh, the Venusian Pale Ale. We can sit here and name 10 beers that um, are just fancy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And talking of that thing about uh, quality versus, you know, you must ex- you must have experienced it over the years, introducing people to, to beers, um, that people will react by saying there's something wrong with this beer uh, as opposed to saying, well, I, I don't like this beer. This beer isn't to my taste. How have you dealt with that? Look, it really depends on, I guess, on how it was that they approached things in the first place. There's a lot of people who are wanting to try something different and they're usually pretty polite about it and they're the kind of people you go, well, you know what, don't drink that one. Let's put that one aside. You know, try this one because, you know, and you know that sooner or later you'll find something that they enjoy and that that will be rewarded because they'll have a good night. They'll stick around. They'll bring their friends back because they've had fun. There are other people who just come in and go, mate, this is bloody awful. What's, what's this supposed to be? And you go, 
Sorry, mate. I don't know how you ended up with the. Well, I can't even think of what an appropriate example would be, but you know, you know, you clearly wanted Carlton Draft. I'm sorry. One of the guys has given you the beer, the wrong beer. Here you go, mate. Have a Carlton on me, and you know, <laughs> you don't keep going down that road. Um, you know, there's two quite distinct groups of people, but the people who who are wanting to try new things. You keep on working until you find what they like. And sometimes it's odd. Sometimes it'll be a 10%, you know, big stout is what they're after. Other times it'll be a really refined and delicate, you know, European style beer. Um, it's that bit of, can you pick what people are going to want when they walk in the door? Almost certainly not. Yeah, it's actually really interesting that in beer tastings, often when people try to introduce beers to their friends who are not on the craft beer train, they give them the kind of shallow end of the market. So easy drinking pails. Mm. And that is a mistake. (laughs) If if anyone's listening who wants to turn people into craft, get the most outrageous heavy stouts and sour beers. Because if you get something that tastes like they think beer is anyway you won't have changed their mind you may as well take the risk and get them to try something quite what you feel is quite outrageous and you feel like they won't definitely won't like get that (laughs) because that will change their mind particularly for a lot of um wine drinkers sours are a great way in and i've seen that happen again and again we have a a couple of um ladies who live around the corner from the pub who would have come in and drink and you know drink rosé every Thursday night? They had a cranberry goes something like that from Bonehead, and it was like, ah, oh, can beer taste like this? And they would never have, you know, they could have drunk all sorts of different pale ales. What I would think of as pretty fruity, accessible ones would never have come across like that a beer like that. There's a massive benefit to that because. A rosé, on average, would be probably something around 9% ABV to maybe 13% ABV. You're drinking a similar quantity. I mean, it's so much better to drink a 3.2% goes <laughs> than, you know, be smashing wines. Not uh, Nobody smashes beers in, or wines or alcohol in your pub, David. Uh, but I always sort of say, what are those, you know, what's a good, you know, summer Sunday afternoon beer? And one of those sort of three and a half percent, you know, sours is just perfect on a Sunday afternoon from my point of view. You know, everyone has to get up on Monday and go back to work, but you still want to have an hour or two with your mates. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think your your discussion about how you deal with people who are open to change or not is also very similar to discussing politics in the pub as well. <laughs> so. If people are open to new ideas, it's probably you're probably going to have a chat to them all night. They might not change their mind, but you have a good discussion, and other people, you won't. <laughs> so, exactly right. <laughs> um, choice six. Again, you know, this was where you know this was where it really got difficult as I sort of struck out all the other things that could have could have got in there, but I've ended up going with Founders KBS. Um, Again, just because of the sort of the role that it's had in my life as a bartender and just the many different occasions that people have come across that beer and had it for the first time and just that sort of experience that people get from a beer like that. So a big bourbon barrel aged stout 
lots of coffee, lots of chocolate, that sweetness of the bourbon. And for people who think they know stouts but are willing to try something a bit different, this has been an iconic uh, game-changing beer and one that I sort of regret you can't sort of get your paws on very much at the moment. But um, for all of those trends of everyone wanting to try a new different beer every week and things like that, this to me is just one of those beers that is worth returning to once a year just to remind yourself what a essentially a perfectly made beer is. And if you're only having one beer for the night, you know, have this as your dessert sort of instead of a, you know, something sort of fancy in a restaurant, I'd be totally happy with that choice. Yeah, it is a real standout beer and I think rates extraordinarily highly on uh, apps such as Untapped and things like Rate Beer and, and the rest um, is, is a real standout beer. And a lot of the founders range, of, they make some very, very distinctive and strong, solid beers. Again, I think all those breweries you've talked about, you could you could name multiple, uh, which would be fitting for your six beers that changed everything. I think, um, it, yeah, it's a difficult journey for yourself being exposed to so many beers kind of professionally. But I also think it changes your mind about beer when you, you're in a hospitality role, when you're sharing them with somebody and you see how it changes them that surely must have the impact of reinforcing your your view of them as well. Uh, absolutely, and that's the most fun part. I guess for me, I'd rather have the same beer with 10 different people and learn about their responses to it than 10 different beers myself. Um, just you know, nearly all of those beers that I've mentioned there, it's just great fun to share them and to, to see people have them for the first time. It's a bit like you know, taking your new girlfriend to watch one of your favourite movies and you sit there not watching the screen but watching her just to sort of, you know, see what response you're going to get. Um, I love sharing these things with people. That's a really nice way of looking at it. And I also think you've just come up with a great podcast as well, the same beer with 10 different people. Well, <laughs> we both got I mean, it'd be a... It'd be a nightmare to organise. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult organising one one guest <laughs> per month. Let alone ten a month within you know an hour of each other. But yeah, yeah. Well, it could just be one. <laughs> yeah, maybe just choose one beer and have it over the course of a year with ten ten different people. That would that would be excellent. Um, and also your snack and vessel to drink these beers out of? Uh, well, when we did uh, Mr Griffiths, we were a poutine restaurant, so there's still a lot of that. Particularly, that's a very, was always a very good um, hangover uh, recipe. But Rob, who was my business partner there, used to do the best fried pickles, so frickles, and just that sort of very eatability of fried pickles. And, you know, even when the kitchen had been turned off for a while, you just go and turn on the fryer again and just go and do another couple of batches of frickles late into the night. Well, I've actually got a bit of a personal story, David, which you might not be aware of, which is um, my good friend, Reese, who I recorded the pilot episode of Chosen Brew podcast with a number of years ago um, mm. to see whether the concept worked. He, he's a, a friend of mine who I very much trust in terms of he knows a lot about cooking and a lot about food, a lot about um, lots of different things, but he also knows a lot about beer and wine. And I thought I'd test the concept and recorded a pilot episode. He's from just outside of Chicago and he chose um, deep fried pickles as his snack. Is that right? Now, 
where this links up with you is that I took him to Mr. Griffiths because I knew it was one of the few places, it probably the only place who did deep fried pickles. And we actually had a night there. Uh, it would have been a weeknight as well, but we just um, made the trip out. He lives in Sydney. He came down to Melbourne. We went to Mr. Griffiths. We had uh, way too much deep fried food. <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> Ordered uh, like to the point where we left and we went to have another beer and we were really struggling to, to, to fit anything else in. <laughs> so so there's a nice synchronicity there, a nice um, match up with uh, that memory. So that was a fond memory of mine with Reese as well. So, and something to drink the beers out of. What What's your kind of go-to glass or... I can hold up my glass and you can try and describe it, but that's, you know, essentially at the end of the day, that's what I'll be drinking out of. Like, a, I've never really bothered to learn the names of the glasses. <laughs> no, it's, it's like a um, chubby wine glass. Is that... A chubby short-stemmed <laughs> wine glass. I think we've got these ones from Safeway for about, you know, four for $10 or something like that. And um, that always seems like a wise policy when you're drinking high-alcohol beers to me. It looks like it does the job very, very well. And what, what beer is in there right now? Uh, the honest answer is that I'm drinking the Four Pines Nitro Stout at the mm-hmm. moment, which I... Uh, it's a totally fine beer. I wouldn't sort of rave about it, but there's obviously a whole lot of beer that's coming home from the pub at the moment uh, that I might as well be drinking as have sitting around getting old at the pub. So, Obviously, the Royal Mail at the moment, the doors are closed, figuratively speaking, but tell us what's coming up and what can people find online? Or I know you did uh, a time of recording, you the, the Sunday before you did a Super Sunday where you had a, a kind of a fire sale on beers in the pub so tell us what's coming up in the next uh, few weeks for people who are listening in real time yeah so for people who are listening in real time we'll probably keep doing those sunday afternoons just watch the uh, facebook and instagram pages uh for the pub so we're still landing new products i'd committed to some of the breweries that we'd get new things so i still need to keep selling some things and hopefully if everyone keeps doing the right thing on the on the mask wearing and everything else that we're being asked to do at the moment, then it won't be too long before we're all back in the flesh. Um, and the crossover with all of that is obviously the Cool Room podcasts. And so uh, in the next four weeks on a Thursday night, I think we've got Batch Brewing this week. We've got uh, Deep Creek next week. There were 40-odd slabs of beer that arrived from my veranda this morning for uh, Deep Creek that... I wasn't able to hide successfully before the rest of the family saw just how much beer I'd bought and need to sell, hint, hint. <laughs> uh, the week after that, we've got Kaiju, and the week after that, we've got Tallboy and Moose. And so we deliver basically a tasting pack out to people, and then uh, people can join us in the Zoom room on a Thursday night and, um, and listen to the brewers talk about those beers. Um, one of a number of very fine uh, things that you can do online in relation to beer in Melbourne at the moment. Ian, that's your chance if you want to plug yours <laughs> yes i think our, our show our shows might conflict uh <laughs> i think there's a bit of that yeah but what i'll do i'll put all of the um all of the social uh links to the cool room and to the raw mail in the show notes so um, please do check that out um and also follow because the beers that you're selling are amazing we're actually when we when I hit pause or stop recording, 
we're going to sort out some things, David. <laughs> so. The Deep Creek ones, I've got to say, we've got about four or five new releases and a couple of their core range. I'm I'm being a very good boy and not opening those boxes right here and now in my lounge room. Yeah, Deep Creek. Wow, they I've had some of the beers that were just fantastic. So, um, David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks for spending the time uh, and taking us through your six beers that changed everything it was a a joy i'm sure like the royal mail it's a pub that you could possibly walk past you've done a very good job of kind of getting the street frontage and things but because it's on spencer street it's one that you could kind of walk past and not notice and what I'm it's, saying to all the shade of grey that they paint battleships when they don't want other battleships to see them. Or what <laughs> yeah. Well, if you go past it and hopefully you're not looking through your periscope, you have to go in. It's just an amazing, uh, an amazing Melbourne institution, and uh, yeah, it's such a, a great place and a, a little bit of a an authentic experience just on the fringe of the CBD as well. So when we're all open and all up and about again. You've got to put it on the list of places to go. An excellent beer. And also, you might even get to speak to David. And he might persuade you uh, no, to try a new beer or, or persuade your politics. Hopefully both. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I've enjoyed my job. <laughs> Thanks so much, David. Speak soon. Excellent, man. Good, good job. So that was it. David Griffiths. From the Cool Room podcast and the Royal Mail Hotel in Spencer Street, Melbourne. Make sure you check out the Cool Room podcast and also the events that are happening online with some exceptional brewers and exceptional beers from the Royal Mail Hotel. They do take place on a Thursday night, which does clash with my online YouTube sensation on the Beer Together channel on youtube uh called have a beer guest the year where myself and one of australia's finest comedians nick kappa take part in what has to be one of the greatest game show concepts in australia in the last few hours it's great fun particularly the online chat as well so if you're around melbourne time 8 30 on a thursday and you're not at the Cool Room podcast event, jump on YouTube, type in Beer Together or have a beer guest of the year. Join me and Nick Kappa for about 45 minutes where we work out. One of us slings a lot of facts and events from a particular year in the past, and by the end of the episode, the other one of us has to guess what year it is, and you come along for the ride as well. So it's great fun, and there's a real lovely community that's building around that which is just what certainly what i need right now speaking of which make sure you get in touch uh if there's a particular episode that stands out or you want to give a bit of feedback i only want positive feedback obviously i can't take negative feedback right now five star reviews all around i actually haven't had a review um since the end of last year so if you want to be a person I'm going to give you a shout out. If you manage to put a review in uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks or so, you're going to be on the next episode. I'll make sure of it. So unless you leave less than a five star review, which in which case you'll be getting a strongly worded letter from myself. So um, lovely to talk as always. 
uh, check out my other podcast, The Wheel of Sport, which goes out fortnightly, which is perfect for lockdown because there's some brilliant tales of human ingenuity, both positive and negative. If you don't like sport, it's fine. It's the podcast for you. It's about humans. Sport is just an excuse into us exploring the strange things uh, that have happened or monumental things, um, particularly like a tea baron who started the first World Cup in soccer, which is just a crazy story. But there's heaps in there. Get on board and check out all the links in the show notes, both for the Cool Room podcast, the Wheel of Sport, have a beer guest year. It's all happening. And I will be with you next time, as long as you're here too. Take care, and we'll speak soon.